Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for tonight's V Brown Bag. I'm your host, Tom Green, and tonight we're going to be talking about vSAN 6.7, what's new, what's cool, and uh, what you can look forward to when you upgrade. To do so, we have uh, esteemed presenter Jace McCarty. Before we give it to him, I would want to talk about the, uh, the way that you can interact with us. Uh, Lewis and I will be monitoring the Twitters. If you use hashtag vbrownbag, we will ask your question live. If you're watching and recording and you tweet something with hashtag vbrownbag, we will uh, definitely get the questions to Jace or whomever is appropriate, and we'll make sure that your questions get answered. We have a worldwide presence. There are ha uh, Twitter handles for vbrownbag, Latin America, Europe, Brazil, and we have shows that happen every uh, every week in different time zones. So if you want to check out the latest schedule, go to vbrownbag.com slash brownbags. And one last housekeeping note, uh, next with the 4th of July coming up, there will not be a presentation. So next week we'll be off, and then we're going to start a series on Azure. Uh, so with that said, um, uh, Lewis and I are watching. So want to say hi, Lewis? If I, un if I can unmute myself first. All right. uh, hey, everybody, how you doing? So uh, do your worst, ask us questions. Um, and with that, Jace, I'll let you introduce yourself while I hand over controls, and we'll get the show on the road. Okay. Well, my name is Jace McCarty, and if uh, you haven't seen one of the previous uh, V Brown bags that I've done, um, I've, uh, I've participated a bit. Uh, in the past few years, if you will, a couple times, I think. Um, I work in storage and availability or the storage and availability business unit here at VMware. We quite often we call it SABU, storage and availability business unit. Uh, and I'm one of the technical marketing architects uh, that we have there. I think six of us at this point, including our group manager, Jeff Hunter. And uh, each of us kind of cover different focus areas, but we all all can kind of cover the the majority, if you will, at least you know high level. Some some to a uh, a bit of degree, really, depending on uh, on what the content is, that type of thing. Tonight we're going to focus on. Uh, well, I'll say tonight tonight for me, but maybe not tonight for anybody else watching. Uh, but we're going to focus on some of the what's new when it when it comes to vSAN, and we'll probably I think you can see right back here. Uh, I've got a six seven cluster in place. I'm going to show some goodness there as well. So, um, not necessarily completely a live demo, but. You know, I'll show off some of some of uh, of the six seven environment and some things you can look forward to if you haven't already upgraded to six seven or if you've got it in your um, in your lab or or you know or whatnot. And then we may throw in some uh, some uh, Jeep configuration tips at some point. Who knows, right? I think uh, Tom had promised that. Now I'm going to try to skip past some of these architecture type slides, that type of thing, and just really kind of dig in. One of the biggest things that that uh, and let me go ahead and get this to go full screen if I can. One of the biggest things that that people uh, have been looking forward to, especially when it comes to vSphere 6.7 and vSAN 6.7, also includes that um, is the new HTML5 based client, right? Um, all based on the Clarity UI. I think it's like the Metropolis font and whatnot. Everything looks the same. We've got this across many of our different products. It's a, it's a more lightweight, again, HTML5 based uh, UI in compared to the, the web client that a lot of people have had some, I don't know, some challenges with, I think, early on, and it kind of turned them off. Um, it still has a flash requirement as far as that goes for the legacy web, you know, web client. This does not. works really, really well on, on pretty much every browser nowadays. In fact, you can see quite a bit of stuff, uh, you know, on an iPhone or an Android device, uh, provided you've got connectivity to your vCenter, that type of thing. But something important to consider or keep in mind when it comes to this new HTML5 interface is the fact that um, it wasn't just a port. In other words, we didn't just say, okay, let's port everything over and you know, we'll keep everything on the back end and, and we'll just give it a nice, you know, rosy new front end, you know, or, or 
you know, slick look in front of him, that type of thing. Um, everything was, was pretty much rewritten when it comes to this particular interface. Now, we do have teams that do the vSphere side. We do have teams that contribute to the vSAN side, that kind of thing, um, you know, that have worked on this. But important thing to consider when it comes to this is, is, uh, is the fact that the workflows were redone. I'll probably show an example in just a bit when I get into the UI, but um, as an example, policy creation where you have to, let's say you go and create a vSAN storage policy and you uh, make certain choices, you have to add rules and things like that. And it's, it's, it's I'm not gonna say it's clunky, but it's just, it's, it's a particular workflow, right? Now, when it comes to this new HTML5 client, as an example, I think the previous mechanism would take approximately 11 or 12 clicks, something like that. This new interface, much faster, actually kind of that workflow for the, for the for storage profiles, as an example, um, is about seven clicks, right? So it's, you know, we looked at the, the interface, we said, what are people doing and how are people using this routinely? And let's put things where they can be easily gotten to from a logical flow and that type of thing. So there's, a lot, I just want to mention there's a lot of value there. Now, if you do a lot of vSAN stand up and tear down, would it be, you know, like a lab type environment or you do a lot of deployments, those types of things, you'll find that the uh, config assist wizard and also the update piece that goes along with that was not ported over to this client. And the, the whole reason is, is because they could get this out, but they could not get the updates of, you know, specific to the workflow out for config assist. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we went this route, right? So that being said, if you are doing an initial, an initial standup, you're probably going to still go the config assist route, which is in the, the legacy client. Um, but that being said, once you've gotten past that point, then you can pretty much do everything you want to do from within the HTML5 based client. All right, so it looks like my uh, my animations are working. Now, one thing we, we did add also, specifically when it comes to, to 6.7, a lot of people had asked for better integration with our vRealize operations um, product or solution. Uh, the whole purpose of this was being able to give a virtualization admin, this vSAN admin uh, for that matter, the ability to give a, a vSAN overview. Let's say you don't have vRealize operations licensed and you do want to be able to see some high level, how many clusters, how many cache disks, so on and so forth, that type of thing. Um, those types of, those pieces of information from a high level dashboard kind of weren't necessarily presented as easily even when you were using vRealize operations, right? Uh, from a dashboard perspective, right? A holistic look. Now, one of the really cool things about 6.7 is not only does this integrate within the, the Clarity UI, but at the same time, you are, you do get a, I'll call it a minimal license of uh, vRealize operations as part of a 6.7 installation. So let's say you start brand new, you've never had vRealize operations before. When you go and you click on that vRealize operations um, uh, selection button on the, uh, on the left-hand side here, it will actually say, hey, do you already have an instance or would you like to go download one? And for customers that already have an instance, I think there is a requirement to perform an upgrade to, I think 6.7 is the build, but then you can directly point at it, right? So you don't have to redeploy, you don't have to lose any of the, any of the data or intelligence that you've gathered you know, thus far. But at the same time, uh, if you don't have it, it will give you the opportunity to, in, to download it and install it all through the UI, right? So it makes it really, really easy to put all this together and make it easy to see. So another one of the additions that we added, um, and let's see if you, there we go, my animations are working still, uh, is better iSCSI support. Now I say better iSCSI support because we've had iSCSI block device support um, since 6.5. It was introduced in, I think, November of 2016, if I recall correctly, as part of vSphere 5.5 or vSAN 5.5. But we didn't necessarily have support for Windows Server failover clustering, you know, specifically FCI failover cluster instances. Um, if you notice here, we're, we're demonstrating that we allow support for both physical or provide support for both physical or in-guest-based initiators, right? So we do support both of those. Um, I had a conversation with a uh, with a um, uh, I'll say kind of a, a competing slash cooperative, cooperative rather, um, you know, partner that sells some vSAN and they've got, you know, arrays and whatnot and they, they, uh, you know, they're like, well, you guys are 
providing iSCSI, that's kind of breaking into our territory a bit. And that's really not the purpose of, of iSCSI support here. Uh, the main reason why we added iSCSI specifically when it comes to vSAN is for those corner cases. Let's say, for instance, I've got, you know, 99% of my environment can be serviced by vSAN, but I've got that one old box or one old cluster that requires a block device and it does support iSCSI, then you could use vSAN in that particular case, right? And uh, as a customer, I've, I've seen times when, I mean, I remember at one point, uh, probably about 10 years ago, we were troubleshooting an application and we found this old Pentium Pro server running Windows 2000 in the corner that like nobody knew about and just happened to be obscured by, you know, some boxes or something like that, uh, you know, on our corporate side as opposed to our production side. And, uh, you know, it required block devices and that would be a kind of a situation like this, you know, as far as this goes. All right, let me move a little forward and kind of go more toward the application side. Um, adaptive resync is something that, that we've been working on for a little while and it's been very, very important, specifically when it comes to situations where, um, you know, we're performing a resync, we've got a lot of data to resync, those types of things. Uh, in the past, we would reserve, from a bandwidth perspective, we would reserve 80% of the bandwidth for writes, uh, well, reads and writes for that matter, and then 20% of the bandwidth for um, uh, for resyncs. But we didn't necessarily do it at a disk group level. And where this is kind of important and where this brings a lot of value is, is, is the hosts actually look at the I.O. capability of the disk group if we're in a situation where, where we have contention and we guarantee of that overall bandwidth, 20% for that disk group, 20% of that bandwidth is going to be reserved for resync traffic. And really kind of the whole purpose here is, is, is um, rather than getting to the point where we have to go in like we did in 6.6 .6 and kind of adjust our, our resync um, bandwidth and those kind of things, this is really more dynamic where if we're under contention, we reserve 20% of the amount of I.O., for the disk group for those resyncs, right? So it it's, gives us a, a much better, a much more resilient way of, of handling those resync situations, which aren't really that common in the grand scheme of things, but uh, it really all depends, you know, have you lost a, a device? Have you, uh, as a host, become isolated for over an hour or something like that? Those types of things. In cases such as that, then this is gonna, gonna help if you happen to run into a situation where you've got some contention, okay? All right, now um, we've had some optimizations. There's not a lot for me to go into really, really deeply as far as this goes, but uh, some some optimizations when it comes to our destaging process, process, right? Um, higher throughput, more consistency, we drain the buffer more quickly, gives us uh, a lot more, let's see, where's my mouse, there we go. Uh, the ability to, to move data through that buffer and down to the persistent tier, um, uh, much more quickly. Now, there's some of the, some of the things we do there, like the the D-stage window size is kind of adjusted uh, for the all-flash and hybrid to be appropriate for each, right? Um, some of these adjustments include, uh, you know, in-memory handling to, per, to uh, uh, accommodate, you know, if a situation where we've got a disk format change, we kind of uh, overcome that as well. Um, and then, let's see, I've got one more note I want to mention here. Um, and this is really across all of our data services, this destaging process. So what I mean by that is checksum, deduplication, compression, encryption, and so forth. All right. Now let's see if my next one is going to illustrate properly, going to animate. Yep, there we go. Okay, if you notice in this particular case, what we did was we took the C1 component and the C2 component, and we moved both of those guys over to the second host. Right, so we've got better um, decommissioning through the process of, of what I would call uh, consolidation. So if you look at this particular illustration, before that C1 was, was combined with C2, look at that from the perspective of, um, let's say for instance, we don't have enough capacity to move a particular object to a different node simply because it, it you know, may violate a fault domain rule, if you will, right? Uh, what we do is we'll look at C1, we'll look at C2. Hey, is there any way that we can take those two and we can combine those into a single component? 
all right, rather than not being able to maintain policy compliance because we've taken up um, you know additional space across fault domains, right? So the whole the whole conversation here is is let's say I've got you know C1, C2, they're both a fair size, but I'll go and I'll take two of those components or three or whatever, how many I, how many ever I have, and I'll try to consolidate those to a better fit. Now this kind of comes about as a result of, of an improvement that we made in 6.6, where if we ran into a situation where uh, we had some type of failure or we were doing a rebalance or something like that, and we actually split components up into smaller pieces, this actually, the whole process is, is, is puts them back where it can and where it's smart, for the process of, of us, let's say, decommissioning a host, decommissioning a, a you know individual disk group, uh, even in that case, um, decommissioning a uh, an individual device, right, like a capacity device. Uh, so it, it really kind of gives us the the best of all worlds when it comes to if we've spread things out a good bit, kind of putting them all back together, right, as far as that goes. Uh, let's see, come on, there we go. All right. Um, if you'll notice here, we've got one of these that doesn't look like the others, right? I mean, I, I think I used to hear that all the time on a TV show, uh, Mr. Rogers. Um, the VM swap has always been different in every instance of vSAN thus, you know, thus far up until 6.7. And what I mean by that is, is we would go and we would assign a policy to the VM home. We would assign a policy to, the, to each VMDK. Um, you know, the snap delta, snap memory, those would take the, the um, uh, the policy of the VM home essentially would inherit. But the VM swap itself in every version of vSAN up until 6.7, it has always been mirrored and it has always had an object space reservation of 100%. And the conversation, the, the kind of the reason it was, was like that before is because when a VM boots up and it, it does not have memory reserved for it and it goes to create that swap, Previous to 6.7, we kind of did that before policy changes came into play or policy settings came into play. Um, we kind of had a way around this, and I think we introduced in like right around the time of vSAN 6.2, where um, if you've seen any of the scripts that I've made, I've got a blog post on this where we introduced a, a setting called sparse swap. And what sparse swap did was we maintained the mirroring because that was hard coded. But rather than reserving the space, we made that space thin. And the whole argument that we had about this internally when we brought about sparse swap was, was really, you know, if, if I'm running into a situation where I run out of swap space, then that could be very bad for my VM, right? And when I say it could be, be very bad for my VM, if I don't have space to write a swap or have a, a problem with the swap, then the VM is going to crash, right? So previous to 6.7, the swap was always mirrored, and it was always space reserved unless you uh, enabled the sparse swap setting, which was a per host setting. And we typically recommended that you do it across an entire cluster, um, you know, if you were doing that. This change, though, because the VM swap is now going to inherit the VM home uh, policy, if VM home is mirrored, then swap will be mirrored. If uh, the VM home is, let's say, erasure coded, then the swap is going to be erasure coded. If VM home itself, let's say I want to have multiple copies of VM home, not just a, a mirrored set. If I want a, an FTT2 or an FTT3 with mirroring, then if I apply that to home, then swap will also get it. Right, so it gives you a little bit more flexibility when it comes to that, uh, especially from a failure scenario perspective, right? Because if you think about a swap being mirrored, if I have, let's say, data with an FTT2 and I have three copies, you know, let's say mirrored, but my swap is only FTT1, I could run into a situation where two hosts, you know, two hosts failed that happen to have both of my, my swap objects, and then that VM, although the data would be would be fine, the VM would then you know, would, would, would crash. And that's a, you know, that's just a, a, a normal VM, you know, um, situation, if you will. It's not that vSAN per se. But the important pieces were now, we've now made this where it can be configured completely by the, uh, by the admin, you know, default policy or other, as far as that goes. All right. Now, not everybody um, deploys vSAN in this particular type of configuration uh, in a fabric A, fabric B type type configuration. Uh, 
Um, some customers who have had a long line of fiber channel based architectures where they've got an A fabric and a B fabric have asked for support for this. We've had support for this for quite a while. Most of the customers that I work with do not uh, use this particular architecture. But uh, what we did do in 6.7 was basically make this whole failover process going from A to B um, a, a good bit faster, right? So, you know, kind of a, kind of a, um, make it more resilient, you know, more, more quickly fail over that type of thing, which the, the customers that we have that are doing this with the separate fabrics um, were really, really interested in. Okay, so there's not a whole lot to, to say about that, but um, if you're familiar with two-node vSAN, specifically the conversation of uh, Direct Connect, we introduced a feature in, it was introduced in vSphere 6.0 update three, but you had to have a, a request for product qualification to be able to have it supported. In 6.5, um, which was November of 2016-ish, we announced general support for two node with direct connect. And at that point, that RPQ for 6.0 update three was then lifted. Um, what this basically does, if, you, if you'll notice, we've got this green vSAN data traffic illustration here, and then we've got this orange witness traffic. Now, where this is valuable and where this is really important is I can never run into a situation where, let's say my intersite link is offline, and let's say my secondary site tries to talk to my preferred site through the witness. Okay, we only send data across the intersite link and we only send that metadata up to the witness, uh, you know, for the, for the quorum piece, if you will, only through that, that external um, uh, VM kernel interface. Now, I will say that, that if you're interested in doing this for either two node or stretch clusters, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you check out storagehub.vmware.com and look at the stretch cluster and two node guide. I will mention that that guide will be breaking apart into a stretch cluster only guide and a two node only guide. Uh, myself and Miles Gray are working on getting those split up, but there are some things that you need to keep in mind when it comes to this, this configuration or, or even the, the, the previous without using witness traffic separation. And what I mean by that is, is we still have the requirement of some routing. We still have the requirement of, um, uh, I'll say the witness configuration, such as um, in the witness, we have VMK, VMK0 and we have VMK1. Typically VMK1 is uh, tagged for vSAN traffic. Uh, I talked to a customer the other day that had their VMK0 and VMK1 on their witness running in the exact same segment. In other words, they had one IP address that was different between the two, and they ran into what we call a, uh, or basically, which is a multi-homing issue. Basically, because vSAN uses the same TCP stack as the management side, um, if you happen to have, in that particular case, if you happen to have two different interfaces that are on the same, uh, the same network, what will happen is, is all the traffic will go out of your management network, right? So in that particular case, what you would want to do is untag vSAN traffic and on the on VMK1 and tag it on VMK0. Where I'm kind of going at going with this though, is it's it's important from a uh, a routing perspective, specific to uh, where you actually place or which which VM kernel interface you use for that that traffic. And, and I'll show a, a, an example in just a minute on my two node uh, environment. Now, another update that we did here, and this should start populating here in a second, I think. Let's see. If we run into a situation where our preferred site is completely isolated, um, there are some, some cases where when that preferred site comes back up, it will say, hey, you know, I'm the preferred site and I need to have control of this cluster. And in a case like that where we've already been uh, continuing our writes, our workloads, our applications on the secondary site, we would consider the preferred site stale uh, as far as the data goes. And in some cases, we run into a situation where that can kind of throw a few errors. Uh, in 6.7, and, and the way around that was basically if you had a failover to your secondary site, two node, or, you know, two node being the secondary host or, or stretch clusters being the secondary site. The way around it was is once you, you know, failed over to the secondary site, you just changed which one was considered, quote, preferred. And then when the preferred site came back online, you would change it back once everything was reestablished. 
we do that automatically now with uh, with 6.7. Now we don't change the preferred you know preferred setting as far as that goes, but we look at the overall fitness of the two sites and look at the data um, more intelligently and say, hey, wait a minute, you know this guy just came back up, it's really stale, you know let's prevent this this isolated type occurrence, if you will. All right, how are we doing on time? Make sure we're on time. Oop. Okay. Now, something else that, that has been really, really important when it comes to uh, stretch cluster configurations, especially when it comes to the ability to have local uh, protection, which is something we introduced in 6.6, .6, where we could have a policy across in this particular illustration. It's RAID 1, a full copy on each site, and then we have a, a RAID 1 within a site. Um, we could run into a situation uh, where, let's say, we lost you know, lost a disk in uh, site B as an example. Well, before we would actually go and take a full copy over to site B. Well, a full copy could be very expensive, right? So what we do is we actually now just take a, a, a small copy, if you will, in other words, a partial. Let's give an example of, let's say a one terabyte VMDK that has four different components. I'll probably pull one component over as opposed to pulling a full copy of that one terabyte. So at this point, I'm essentially bringing over 25% of the uh, amount of data that I did before. And because I'm doing this across every VM that happened to be on that particular failed disk, my overall amount of data that I have to copy across is significantly, significantly less, and as a result, is much faster. Okay. And Tom, I don't know if we've had any any questions or, or, or anything like that, and my my Twitter is offline, so uh, please let me know if anybody asks anything. Yeah, we we do have something from Graham. It's a sort of a basic. Is vSAN 6.7 tied to vSphere 6.7, or will it so run on 6.5? So that's a that's a good re recurring question. Right, as far as that goes, uh, vSAN 6.7 is part of vSphere 6.7. Uh, I will say that that um, a lot of folks, maybe not a lot of folks, but but some folks say, hey, I want to be able to have independent versions and 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 whatnot. Some of the things we'll see here in just a minute, we'll kind of find some of the reasons why you know we we stick within you know the same I'll say release family, if you will, you know that type of thing. Um, at the same time, though, quite often, and if you look at, I think, I forget the latest version of 6.6 uh, .6 that came out, slash vSphere 6.5, you'll see that we're actually backporting a lot of the, uh, a lot of the features, uh, you know, things like adaptive resync and, and whatnot, you know, we'll go and we'll include it in 6.7, but then we'll also, you know, put it in a, in a version of, uh, of you know, 6.6, those kind of things, right? So um, you do have to have 6.7, and one of the challenges that a lot of people have had with 6.7, I think, lately, which is not a vSAN challenge per se, but it's more of a vSphere challenge where they've got some older hosts. You know, I don't know if, if anybody on the, uh, watching the brown bag right now has, has taken a look at, at eBay lately, but, you know, like Dell R610s and R710s and 510s and 410s and whatnot are so abundant right now it's ridiculous and their prices are really low but that's probably a good you know a, a good indicator of they're probably not supported on 6.7 because 6.7 has some CPU requirement differences if you will right um, so yeah no good question uh, you know it's asked asked a fair amount sometimes our our numbering is aligned exactly like uh, you know vSphere 6.0 had vSAN 6.0 uh, you know, vSphere 6.5 had vSAN 6.5, but then we kind of broke away a bit because we've got a, a different release schedule than the vSphere folks. And like when 6.0 update 1 came out, we had vSAN 6.1. And then when 6.0 update 2 came out, we had vSAN 6.2. And then you would think that when 6.0 update 3 came out, we would have vSAN 6.3, but because we didn't introduce a large number of features at that point, it still maintained that 6.2 numbering, right? So just one of the challenges of, of software numbering. I keep telling them we need to come up with like cool names like, you know, Apple does instead of numbers, you know, that type of thing. 
Um, so something else I'll also mention specifically to, um, to 6.7 is our health check is a bit better, better health summary. We're better at reducing uh, some of the duplicate warnings, if you will. I know there are a lot of folks that uh, in the past and earlier versions of the health check kind of would get a bit of what we would call uh, alert fatigue, if you will, you know, that type of thing. Um, one of the really good things though with this health check is a lot of the health check um, capabilities are really vSphere or vCenter rather independent. And what I mean by that is, is like some of the online checks that we're doing now where we're looking at, at particular uh, controllers and different things like that um, are really actually delivered dynamically as opposed to, hey, you gotta have this version of vCenter to be able to have this check. Right, that type of thing. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a list of which checks are in which versions, but um, kind of the point is, is, is I shouldn't, as a customer, and keep in mind, I was a customer for about 15 years, um, not not specifically, you know, vSphere, but but IT, you know, in general, and I shouldn't have to perform an update to get all the latest goodness. You know, I should be able to to get a good bit of the goodness, right, going forward, even if I haven't updated that kind of thing. Uh, some of the updates as far as the HCL goes is we only grab what's new, right? We don't overwrite, uh, you know, as we add new firmware packages for different releases and, and different, um, you know, drivers for, for different hardware, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not really certain where the, the improved ESX CLI commands come in as far as this goes, but these, a good bit of them were introduced in 6.6 .6 and they've gotten a little bit better in 6.7 where we can, from a command line, get in and get really, really deep as far as some of the stuff that we used to be required to use the um, the uh, the Ruby vSphere console, right, the RVC for. A lot of that information is now presented via just a, a regular ESX CLI command. With that being said, though, ESX CLI can be enumerated from PowerCLI, or you can use the uh, vSphere, uh, vSphere CLI, not vSphere PowerCLI, but vSphere CLI, that's available for both Windows and Linux to remotely run some of these commands as well. So if you if you don't want to have to log in via SSH and, and perform these on the console, you can still do them remotely if you've got um, one of those type of security postures, right, that type of thing. A little bit more info around some of the, um, the better checks, you know, better host maintenance mode verification, um, consistency settings across the cluster. I was just going through my two node that I have here in the house and realized that I didn't even have NTP uh, configured. It showed me the disparity across all of my, my or all of my hosts, my two hosts and my, uh, my witness, specifically showing me that my health check was a bit off you know, as far as that goes. Uh, better network connectivity checks for vSAN and vMotion. Um, now this health service installation check. Previous to 6.2, we had some challenges where if you had 6.1 and you moved to 6.2, then the health check didn't really work across versions. Um, we kind of standardized our API around the 6.2 days and that's kind of stayed the same. So whether you're running VCSA 6.7, um, and you're running a combination of vSAN 6.7, vSAN 6.6, vSAN 6.5, vSAN 6.2 clusters, a combination of those. And I think of some of our retail customers that have hundreds and thousands of, of clusters. It makes it a lot easier because I can't be expected to upgrade all these guys all at one time, right? Um, you know, better checks on some of the hardware, kind of all rolled into a single check. And then kind of this last one, a really good one to, to keep in mind, the HCL check, when it comes to the firmware and driver, before we would only check and say, okay, well, this firmware has to be with this driver. When you go and look at the VCG, you may find that this particular driver works with multiple firmwares, right? That type of thing. And that kind of, we kind of corrected that as far as that goes. Now, if you're not familiar with our, our naming of the vSAN ReadyCare piece, it's a combination of the, uh, of the health checks. I'm gonna show this piece in just a minute for anybody who hasn't, hasn't seen it. I remember uh, showing Tony Reeves, um, I don't know, probably about a year ago when, when uh, we were only kind of providing this uh, on the back end um, and didn't really show anybody how it worked or that kind of stuff. But basically what this does is, and you have to participate in the CEIP, 
right? You have to participate in the customer experience improvement program. But if you'll notice on this VMware.com side, right? So I've got host 45, host 37, so on and so forth, all these different hosts, but they don't really necessarily have a, a good name behind them. And I'll show, you, I'll show you guys this like in real time in just a minute. But what we do here is we anonymize this information collected, or actually it's anonymized before it's sent to us. Before the, before the VCSA sends it to us, it's anonymized. Now we do a data, a data collection every hour, but we don't grab IPs, we don't grab VM names, we don't grab policy names, we don't grab, um, as I said, you know, IPs, don't grab host names, things like that. Right, things that would be really distinctive where I could, if I needed to, you know, do, you know, get in deep as far as within a customer environment. Um, the important piece here is it's anonymized. A lot of people are really, really reluctant to share that CEIP type data. But where this is really, really valuable is let's say, for instance, you're going through an upgrade from vSAN 6.6.1 to vSAN 6.7. You're running, um, CEIP and you have this telemetry data coming back and you perform an upgrade and in the process of doing that upgrade, let's say you've upgraded all your hosts and you see some type of anomaly or whatnot, or you're perfectly fine after that upgrade and then you make a change two weeks in or a month in or whatever. This telemetry data gives us the capability of when you call into GSS and you say, okay, look, here's my situation. I upgraded from 6.6.1 to 6.7, and then I ran across this at this time, right? So they can look at your environment and say, okay, well, we see that on this date there was a particular um, firmware update that was performed, and that's when these errors occurred, or you know, let's say you did a firmware on, let's say some Intel X710 NICs, which have had some LLDP based issues lately. Um, and you performed an update there and we saw that, that, you know, after you made this firmware update, although it fixed this one error, it introduced some additional chattiness of those NICs, right? So it kind of gives GSS more capability because they're not just saying, okay, what's your problem? Send us the logs, we'll look at them, we'll get back to you. They can actually pull your cluster UUID in and they can see, okay, well, here's what we see and here's what we have seen from the data that you've provided. And when they go and they say host 53 is acting funny and you don't have a host 53, there's an obfuscation map that will give you the ability, kind of a translation table, if you will, to see, okay, well, GSS is talking about host 53. That's actually w3-hs1-05-0101.eng.vmware.com, right? That type of thing. Now, if you'll notice here, we had a little illustration where that, di that uh, diagnostic partition expanded. Certain types of drives, USB drives, S SD drives, let's say you do a base install, you don't have vSAN as part of the mix, you decide later that, hey, I'm going to put vSAN on this particular environment. Um, the, the diagnostic partition is probably not the best size as far as that goes on those USB and SD cards. We do have a KB article that can walk you through the process of expanding this on your own, and that's how you would do it in a 6.5, 6.6 .6, you know, type, uh, type installation. But in but the problem there is, is the fact that you would have to touch every host to make that change, right? So in 6.7, as you upgrade to 6.7, it's going to go in, it's going to look, hey, you've got a USB, you've got an SD-based install, you have some additional capacity, let's go ahead and expand that for you so you don't have to worry about it, right? And obviously more diagnostic space is better when it comes to, you know, overall troubleshooting and, and uh, you know, device management, that kind of thing, right? Now, this is kind of one of those situations where the question was asked a little bit earlier, specifically around support for 4K native devices um, with vSphere 6.7. You know, the question was, is vSAN 6.7 available with you know, vSphere 6.5? Well, in this particular case, a really good example, um, vSphere 6.5, vSAN 6.6 base code, whatnot, uh, and previous versions cannot natively see 4K native drives, 
right? And, and it's it's not a vSAN thing, it's a vSphere thing. vSphere did not have the capability of seeing it or didn't support, you know, 4K native drives, right? As a, let's say a local data store or even a vSAN based device. When this support was introduced in, in vSphere 6.7, it then made those available to vSAN as well, right? So that's kind of where, when it comes to some of the stack, we're still kind of limited to, to what vSphere is doing, right? Because we're a native component specific to that. Now, I will say that internally from a consumption perspective, um, it looks like 512 as opposed to 4K, but we do still see 4K devices. Now, part of that is for compatibility, being able to, to move to other storage platforms that may not be completely 4K, that type of thing. But the important thing is, is those customers who are fine with, let's say, hybrid as an example, type deployments that are, uh, I'll, I'll say, cheap and deep, but lack of, lack of a better phrase, um, 4K device support brings, you know, the ability to have much, much larger supported drives and those types of solutions, okay? Now, this is one that I actually do a, a lot of work in specifically. Um, around the encryption side of the house. Uh, in fact, I have a getting more out of vSAN uh, tomorrow that I'm, that I'm giving, and I'm gonna go into this a little bit more as well. But important piece here is the fact that our cryptographic module, which we introduced in, um, in vSphere 6.5 for VM encryption, or VMcrypt, I think was the code name, um, and then also vSAN encryption, which we introduced in 6.6 .6 in April of last year. That particular, I say that particular module, one of two modules that we have here, another one we don't really call out, but, um, and the other one is an, S, is an SSL module to make sure we've got secure communications between nodes, right, that, that type of thing. Those achieved um, FIP certification in December of last year. So kind of here and where this, where this is valuable is, is, is vSAN and vSphere when it comes to encryption, and internode communication there uh, now uses FIPS 140-2 validated modules. Now, I would be uh, weary of, uh, of anything that says FIPS 140-2 certified. FIPS 140-2 certified typically is, you know, like in an HCI solution with, with vSAN as an example would be these particular hosts, this particular build of vSphere, this particular build of vSAN, these particular drives, this particular switch, these particular, you know, blah, 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 all those pieces. When everything top to bottom hardware and software are all evaluated from a FIPS 140-2 perspective, then you can actually use the moniker of FIPS 140-2 certified for a solution. Um, that being said, our modules, which are part of vSphere and vSAN, are FIPS 140-2 validated. Okay, and I do have a little bit of time, so I'm going to kind of poke through the interface, that type of thing, but these are kind of the takeaways. This is a good, you know, a good uh, slide to take a quick screen capture of, you know, a picture of that type of thing. Um, obviously with a little architecture naming at the top, if you will, um, but the better UI, you know, better dashboard with vRealize operations native as part of uh, part of your vSAN installation now, uh, and Windows Server failover clustering, give us better capabilities from an operation side, right? Better, better uh, performance through adaptive resync, faster destaging, um, the ability to more efficiently use space with thin provision swap, as well as that intelligent decommissioning where we go in and reconsolidate objects that were actually spread across, right? Uh, multiple nodes, devices, you know, whatnot, uh, as well as that resiliency. You know, if we have a, a multi-fabric type configuration gives us a better, you know, app application experience as far as that goes. Uh, better health checks, better capabilities when it comes to that diagnostic diagnostics partitioning where I don't have to go and manage it Myself, if I'm going from 6.6 to 6.7, I want to be able to use some of that additional capacity. It'll do it for me, right? Uh, vSAN support insight, I'm going to show you guys that here in just a minute. You know, really, really valuable um, piece of tech. I highly, highly, highly recommend participating in the customer experience improvement program, right? So you can see some of that. And then, as I mentioned, 4K native devices and, and FIPS 140. Uh, going further, though, uh, if you want to find out more about vSAN, reach out to your vSAN uh, SE or your core VMware SE, and they can get you set up with a vSAN uh, assessment. 
it's free, it's no cost. We used to require, um, I think, a week's worth of data. And then there was also a requirement early on where you had to uh, install a VIB that actually did require a host to be rebooted. Nowadays, we actually can get enough data depending on the time of the month, that type of thing, right? If you have a busy time versus a, a, a slow time, probably want to run it during your busy time. But now there's no requirement to reboot those hosts anymore. So you could do it very, very quick, you know, like I said, a couple days uh, with no no change to your environment as far as uh, having to reboot or anything like that. It does require a VIB to be installed. Uh, if you're not familiar with the hands-on labs, highly recommend, uh, I think it's labs.vmware.com slash or something along those lines. It's really easy, just HOL, VMware, Google that, and you'll be in the right spot. You can spin up vSAN at your leisure, play with it, tinker with it, destroy it, you know, whatnot, and uh, it's, it's a good free learning opportunity. And then uh, finally, Storage Hub. And if you're not familiar with Storage Hub, um, every now and then it gets a little finicky as far as uh, caching and that kind of thing, at least on my, <laughs> my system. But it's, uh, it's where a lot of us put a lot of vSAN-based documentation, as well as some other, like SRM and NVVols and whatnot. But um, we also have click-through demos and, and different things of that nature, you know, where you can go through and maybe not take a demo, but literally kind of still get the feel in an in in active demo, if you will, uh, on Storage Hub. And it's also a browser you know, friendly. It doesn't really matter whether you're using a you know, Windows browser, Mac browser, Linux browser, using an iPhone or other. And because the content is created dynamically, um, it give, we do have the capability of being able to export whichever document you're looking at as a PDF, if you'd like. Okay. Now, let me close this up, if it'll let me exit, there we go. And if you'll notice here, I've kind of, I've kind of, um, this is actually my legacy client, here we go. This is the new HTML5 client I'm looking at my, this is a cluster I have running up in, uh, up in Wenatchee, Washington. It's a little four node cluster and that, that name I used earlier, w3hs1050101.eng.vmware.com, that's this first host. All right, so here's our health check. It's a lot cleaner, a lot neater. We actually have quite a bit here. We've got even better silencing. Hopefully at some point we'll be able to silence within the UI. Right, but it's, it's, it's got some really, really robust reporting looking at our data. We can, let's say, look at our virtual objects. And as you can see, I've got a bunch of nested stuff over here. This was me doing um, uh, doing some, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, instant clone provisioning is what I was doing there, right? Um, I, I did it just before William got his blog post out about it. I was actually working on that. But uh, notice here I've got DC2, uh, and I can go and select all these guys. I can say view the placement details for that. Notice how fast this is. I see that I've got uh, you know, my virtual machine config files here. Uh, these happen to be mirrored, right, for my, uh, my DC here. I don't know if I've got any with a different policy. I'll have to glance through real quick. But notice how fast this is in comparison to, um, you know, to the previous client. I talked about policies, right? Where policies are a bit easier. I go to my VM storage policies and I say create a VM storage policy and we'll just do a brown bag policy. Now, notice I do say vSAN here, but notice now I don't have all my specific rules, right? A lot of people would, would get a bit confused and say, well, my, you know, do I want to add uh, erasure coding? Do I want to add, you know, what level of protection do I have if I choose this policy and that kind of thing? Well, well, here we go and we say, well, what kind of cluster do you have? You know, I've got stretched or I have, you know, I've stretched and want to keep data on one side or the other or just have a standard. But then our failures to tolerate is a little bit more streamlined, whereas before we had to pick our failure tolerance method and the number of failures we're willing to uh, overcome or, or survive, right? Uh, here we just say, one failure mirroring, one failure erasure coding. Two failures mirroring, two failures erasure coding. Or three failures mirroring. It makes it really, really easy when it comes to making this policy, right? So I can say, you know, erasure coding here. If I want some of the advanced policies like, you know, disk stripes or if I want to do IOPS limits or any of these other pieces, I can do those here, but I don't have to, right? So it's really, really 
quick and easy as far as that goes. And it goes and shows me that this guy is compatible, right? Boom, that fast. It's about seven clicks. Now, I mentioned, uh, and just want to make sure I'm staying on time, but I mentioned our vSAN support insight, right? Uh, internally, we call it Humbug. Okay, so this is actually Humbug looking at, uh, so where is it? Nope, wrong one. Too many, too many screens open. That's actually, if I look at my hosts and clusters, that's this cluster. Now, if you look at the names of the hosts, like I mentioned before, and then you look at the names here, these names do not match up at all whatsoever. I got 63 VMs. I see I'm running a 67VC. There are four hosts, so on. Um, oh, I probably need to add a license at some point as far as that goes, right? But I can look at changes, you know, as I mentioned before. Notice here we've got an obfuscation map. This is where we have that translation table if we want to upload that. If I look at the health here, I can see the same errors that the customer is going to see in their health check without them having to send me any type of logs. Right? I can look at my capacity. I can look at the disks. Notice host 50, disk group, cardinal, platinum, meansville. I don't know what that means. That's just a randomized, obfuscated disk group name. Right? Depew, I can't even pronounce that, something Wisconsin. Right? So, you know, really, really good content specific to um, basically, um, how do I want to put it, you know, obscuring this or, where we can't see. If I go and look at this host individually, look at my VM kernel adapters, notice the network labels are something funky, right? Circular Wickhaven Verbank. Right now I can see that, that I've got this kind of NIC and I've got this speed, but I don't see what the MAC address is. That's something that might be, you know, actionable if somebody had a MAC address where they could get something out of it or whatnot. But we don't even collect that, right? You know, if I look at networking, you know, I've got VMK0 happens to be on this V switch, and then VMNIC2 I think is on a DV switch, right? I do see what type of NIC it is, you know, but I don't see the networks it's connected to, and I don't see, you know, there are a lot of things I don't see. And then we can tie this to a you know, to a service request, right? Pretty, pretty cool stuff. You know, people get really, really upset. Hey, I don't want to share my data, you know, that kind of thing, right? Now, if we look, uh, let's see, that's not a good one. Nope, not a good one. Let me see if I can look at my little environment um, really quickly and give me a second to, to make it larger. And I probably have some errors because I was thinking with it a little bit earlier. Um, this is something that I, I use to do a lot of my, my uh, content as well as I try to break it and that kind of thing, right? But notice in this two-node configuration, okay, now again, we're in a regular, you know, regular environment here. We're not in Humbug or that type of thing, and I've got my witness listed over here. If I go and I look at... And I apologize for not being able to make this font larger, but if I look at host1.demo.local, I'll see if I perform a ESX CLI vSAN network list, I'll see that I've got VMK0 here for witness traffic, not vSAN traffic, witness traffic, and then VMK2 for vSAN traffic. If I look at the host here, and I look at my configuration, notice how fast this interface is, right? Now, look at my VM kernel adapters. These guys are on a direct connect 10 gig, and although this is two node and has been this way since 6.2, this is now supported in stretched clusters. That's kind of where the value is there. Um, but I have a dedicated VM kernel interface just for my witness traffic, right? And that's that's something that, a lot of customers I've seen lately, they've actually tagged their witness traffic on VMK0 and then had, you know, vSAN is VMK1 and vMotion is VMK2. And it's pretty, pretty simple and easy. And then what they'll do in that particular case is they'll go and they'll, they'll have on their witness, like I have here, 
I'm not even using my VMK1 because these guys are on the same subnet. You'll see that I've got my vSAN traffic on VMK0. I'm gonna go really, really in depth into this um, on uh, on storagehub.vmware.com, right? If you look under stretch cluster and two node guide, you look under uh, new concepts that like that, uh, things like that. I think it is what it's called. Um, We've got a section just for witness traffic separation. So if stretch clusters are something you're interested in. Um, witness traffic separation makes it a lot easier as far as that connectivity up to this witness host. Now I will mention that stretch clusters do not necessarily have to be across sites. Like I live in between Denver and, and uh, Colorado Springs, but um, that doesn't mean you have to have a stretch cluster with one site in Denver and one in Colorado Springs. As an example, you could have a data center where you've got half of your vSync cluster on the first floor and the other half on the 10th floor or something like that to isolate it. You know, let's say you're doing you know, power chain or power maintenance across the entire environment, whatever, you could actually have multiple data centers and do it that way. So just a, a really good, really, really good option as far as that goes. All right, any more uh, more questions come in, uh, Tom, or? Yeah, I got one. Go ahead, Lewis. Okay. Um, so <laughs> Ken was asking about uh, what customer adoption for 6.7 has been so far and uh, what it's looking like as far as uh, companies running in production. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't have any specific numbers. I know that, um, uh, we've had a fair number of people um, upgrade to 6.7, you know, and it's it's one of those approaches where, and, and I'm kind of the, you know, I, I was kind of the guy when I was a, when I was a customer, both on the civilian side as well as when I was in the military. The military was really bad about it where they would wait until you were like two or three releases in, you know, before they would think about upgrading to something. As a customer, um, I wasn't, you know, one of those that necessarily had to have the latest, greatest, shiny new. I was always like a, wait for service pack one, wait for update one or whatever type person. And I would watch, uh, you know, VMTN and I would watch Twitter once Twitter came about and that kind of thing and and just kind of keep the pulse, you know, as far as that goes. But I haven't heard of any significant, you know, type issues or anything for those that have upgraded to 6.7. Um, I will say, and I, I uh, because I'm close to our Broomfield office where we have a large number of vSAN support folks, I'm up there probably a couple times a month and I, uh, I do meet with, um, with Brad Mott and some of the other guys uh, on the GSS teams. And I can't really hammer this home enough when it comes to, to vSAN health is, you know, specifically around having the right hardware. Right. Um, I would dare to say the vast majority of, of, you know, issues, if you will, are, you know, situations where people have hardware that is not on the, not on the VCG or they, um, you know, haven't upgraded firmware, you know, even though they've been recommended, you know, recommended to upgrade firmware, you know, that type of thing. But as far as uh, six, seven adoption, it, it looks as far as, you know, the numbers that have been shared to me, pretty good. You know, it's, I think a lot of people have gotten to the point where they're comfortable with 6.6 .6 and 6.6.1, really, with the, the move over to, to Unicast. Um, I'd imagine those numbers are probably going to go a bit higher up to 6.5 slash vSAN 6.6 with, um, you know, with so many people coming up on that, that end of general support date of, what, September 19th, I think for 5.5. .5, and there's, as I understand it, there's not a direct upgrade from 5.5 .5 to 6.7. Uh, I think you would have to upgrade from 5.5 .5 to, I think, 6.5, and then from 6.5 to 6.7. So I think we'll see more and more people kind of do a stair step as opposed to a, a big jump. I remember when I was uh, upgrading from ESX, uh, not ESXi, but ESX 2.5 to a 3.x config, and the recommendation was you can only go from 2.5 to 3, and then 3 to 3.5. And uh, we kind of had a, uh, a YOLO approach and just went straight to 3.5. So I don't know. I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, honestly, that the uh, the jury is still out as far as that goes. Anybody who absolutely hates the web client, though, needs to look at at uh, needs to look at um, at vSphere 6.7. Now, I will say that if you're using 
let's say you decide to keep your ESXi hosts on uh, 6.5 update one, which is uh, vSAN 6.6 update one, but you upgrade your vCenter, which we always recommend you upgrade your vCenter before you upgrade your host from a vSAN perspective, then you would still get this HTML5 interface, right? So you don't necessarily have to move vSAN up all the way to get this interface, but you do have to update the vCSA. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, I, I tell you, I love this interface. I, like I, I literally had this, the previous one in place because um, I haven't used it in a while and I, and, you know, I wanted to take a look at it and become more familiar with it again you know, for tonight. And then I was like, oh crap, where do I go to do that? You know, because I've used the new interface so much more because it's, it's just so much faster. It, it's definitely one of those things where you have to kind of just kind of get used to it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, for, the, for anybody looking at like the VCAP, right? Uh, I remember back when I took it in the 5.5, it was one of those things where you have to understand where is it's best or where you can only do certain actions in certain places. So you kind of have to learn it for some certifications. But mm -hmm. in the end, you know, a lot of the functionality left, you know, fat, the fat client's gone, C-sharp client's gone. And, and yeah, you get people got forced into the Flash client. And then even in the 5.5, dot five to six that got way better and yeah. people still gonna, you know complained about it and that's understandable but uh the h5 version is is it's killer it, it's it's pretty awesome compared to all the previous web clients and it's really just something you got to throw yourself into and just do it yeah well you know it's funny i actually worked with a customer about two weeks ago and they were still using the old c-sharp client oh man yeah i, oh, I still yeah. see it with some of my, my customers too yeah yeah, but if if you're if you're an old graybeard like me, you remember the the MUI back in the 1.x days and the early 2.x days, which you know once vCenter came about, it was so much easier to manage, you know, at scale. Right. Uh, one one more question. Uh, and is on the on the upgrade path from six five update two to six seven. Okay, what, what was the question specifically? Uh, uh, is there a direct that's upgrade that's from 6.5, what, update yeah. 2 to 6.7? I don't think so. I think it's one of those situations where, um, like, there was a version, of, I think it was 6.0 update 3, you couldn't go straight to 6.5, but you could go to 6.5.d or something like that. Um, we do have a, uh, if you look at the VMware.com site, on the, I think we do have, like, a, Somewhere on the site, there is a reference specifically saying that. I know in the release notes, I think for, uh, yeah, for 6.5, um, it does say that. If you go to the VMware product interoperability matrices, there is Maybe. three parts. The interoperability, which is one product to another. The solution or database interoperability, which is much more important back when we had like Oracle and yeah. versus Postgres. But then there's also a third tab for upgrade. And you can check That's any right. product for upgrade path. Yeah. Yeah, I don't use that that often because quite often, you know, most of my uh, installs are are fresh and green. Every now and then I'll do updates. But um, I would say probably within tech marketing, uh, at least storage and availability tech marketing, our, our guru there is uh, is Mr. Gray, Miles Gray. He actually handles a lot of our lab infrastructure as far as that goes. In fact, I yeah. think he upgraded everything to 6.7 and, you know, all the all the other, you know, uh, dependencies and whatnot recently. And I think it still kind of falls into that same line with the whole, like, was it 6.0 going into 6.5? Sometimes it's based on what product came out or what version came out when, because one version may not know the other one even existed. And there's some subtle changes, but there are enough that it actually causes an effect on the ability to do the upgrade. And so in this case, if, you know, like 6.7 came out, but update 2 came out after it, or, you know, in, in, in those kind of timeline pieces, then there wouldn't have been an upgrade process to, for uh, the the 6.7 to even know about it. Right, right. Just um, looking through some of the uh, some of the tweets. <laughs> some pretty funny folks here. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think we're, we're kind of a little bit over our time, but I can stay a little bit, uh, you know, if, if necessary, if there are any other questions. I do appreciate everybody tuning in for those that, that did, uh, uh, you know, decide to be, you know, on while, uh, while we're going through this. And then for anybody that's listening later, uh, I just, you know, would like to reiterate, you know, if you're interested in seeing what it might take to, you know, have vSAN meet the needs of your, your environment, that's where we have that vSAN assessment. Uh, Storage Hub is a really, really 
great place if you want to get some of the deep dives. Not really necessarily here's how you click you know, click this and click this and do this and do the other as much as here's the why this feature is important to you. Here's how this feature should be used and, and those kind of things. You know, we've got our design and sizing guide, our networking guide and things like that on Storage Hub. Most of the how to enable encryption, you know, those types of things are, are over on our uh, uh, VMware document portal. You know, I think it's pubs.vmware.com. Um, and then finally, the, the hands-on lab, which I think was also tweeted out as well. Yeah, and um, and then there's also the if you look at like the if anybody's on the partner program too, um, we actually provide tools and, and keys for the partners to test and validate and, and go through a lot of this kind of stuff. And if uh, you're in the partner program as a PSO organization, VAR or whatever, you you guys have the opportunity to go and test these things out. They give you NFR keys to do this to uh, test the product out before you actually run it or use it for your environments or for your um, whatever purposes, in, including like for testing and training uh, for certifications. Yeah, I clicked over on my vRealizer. Okay, so this is a fresh install. I forgot that I hadn't installed it yet, but but notice here, this is that vRealize piece that I mentioned. I can install from scratch via the UI, or I can simply point at one that's already been updated to 6.7. So this is really, really valuable, you know, as far as that goes. But this This interface is just, I mean, leaps and bounds. You know, over uh, over the web client. I mean, if if anything at all to upgrade vCenter, you know, this is this is one of the pieces. But again, I would check the uh, the upgrade you know matrix on the product interoperability matrices just to be sure in your particular environment if you do plan on on uh, going this route, upgrading vCenter, that type of thing. Yeah, that rolls off the tongue real well. I know CEIP. <laughs> uh, Jace, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. I really thank appreciate you. it. Uh, anything else? Uh, we'll be posting this on YouTube, and if anybody has any um, content stuff that they want to bring to the brown bag, or um, there's also still the kind of call for topics for VMworld, make sure that you go to vbrownbag.com. Okay. Thanks, Louis. Hope to see everybody at VMworld. Take it easy.